Welcome to Platypod, the official podcast of the Committee for the Anthropology of Science, Technology, and Computing. Here, we host dialogues and conversations about the theories, tools, and social interactions that explore questions at the intersection of anthropology and science and technology studies. This bonus content is a reading from Platypus, the Castac blog. Enjoy! Ways of Knowing Lessons on Agroecological Transitions from a Potwari Farm by Aisha Shahid Contemporary agroecological farming is a knowledge-intensive form of production that can maximize the, the productivity of energy flows, which are central to the productive forces. Cumulatively, it is suggested, the terms and conditions by which the contemporary agrarian question can be resolved is through an agroecological agrarian transition. Harun Akram Lodi, 2021. Section 1. Becoming. Three years ago, I started a farm in my village, Tarid, which is located less than 10 kilometers outside the metropolitan border of the twin cities of Rawalpindi and Islamabad. Tarid is in the rain-fed Potwar plateau near the Himalayan foothills, and like many peri-urban areas in South Asia, is rapidly urbanizing and increasingly reliant on the nearby urban economy. The rain-fed nature of agriculture here makes it more prone to climatic risk and loss and therefore less remunerative. As a researcher and a self-identifying citizen planner, I was curious if new methods of agriculture could make the sector remunerative enough to counter the desire to convert agricultural land into real estate. Since I was familiar with the emerging significance of agroecology and regenerative agriculture in climate adaptation, I was motivated to understand what it would take to help us transition towards practices closer to agroecology. In recent decades, agroecology has come to be seen as as a solution to the global agrarian and food crisis, where farmers are not compensated equitably and food insecurity prevails among the masses. To ensure power is distributed equitably and and intersectionally among the direct producers and eaters, it is necessary to integrate small farmers and prioritize their food sovereignty in a locally embedded, democratized food system. Relatedly, agroecology emphasizes the art of farming that reinvigorates indigenous methods of farming to improve soil fertility, minimize requirement of external inputs, and foster foster local knowledge-based problem-solving. An agroecological approach requires developing an alternate paradigm of agrarian relations that organize small farmers to achieve collective production on a national scale and center knowledge as a force of production. Unable to compete with high-intensity industrial agriculture in the irrigated plains of Punjab, agricultural production in rain-fed Potwari villages such as Tarin is limited to growing wheat in the winter for local needs and summer fodder in a limited part of the land. Land would be left fallow for half a year, leading to soil erosion and degradation. A successful adoption of agroecology principles could drastically reduce reliance on heavy farm machinery, reduce other inputs such as chemical fertilizer and pesticides, and lead to a higher or similar levels of yield as in a conventional system. This would significantly lower costs, stabilize earnings to be the same or higher, and farmers could make a net profit. By employing employing agroecology methods, I hope to restore fertility to these degraded soils, 
shift to a more diverse cropping system to bring about greater biodiversity and improve our farm's output and resilience to drastic climate changes. Section 2. Doing I set an ambitious goal for my farm experiment. I wanted to develop a sustainable, profitable farm in a manner that is replicable and scalable for the average farmer of our village. It should not need heavy upfront investments and it should be able to generate enough income to sustain at least one working class family. A collective of farmers developing regenerative techniques in Pakistan provided the simplest blueprint for how to transition from a conventional agricultural system to a regenerative one. Named Paidar Kudrate Nizami Kashtkari, or Picnic for short, and spearheaded by agriculturalist Asif Sharif, the group provided guidance and platforms for sharing experiences. Asif Sharif's efforts included managing several WhatsApp groups with farmers, answering their questions, and sharing their success stories. This, I hoped, would be my farmer-to-farmer experience, similar to the National Association of Small Small Farmers and La Via Campesina's Campesina o Campesina, Farmer to Farmer, Methodology of Disseminating Sustainable Agroecological Farming Practices. I started by fencing our lands in June 2020, a non-customary practice but necessary to prevent the neighbors from assuming that the land was left for their goats to explore. Together with a farm supervisor, we planted our first crop of groundnut manually and dove into the picnic transition practices which we would learn was going to be a painful transition. For the first two years, we rapidly tested several different crops, looking to understand why the village's cropping pattern had become restricted to largely wheat and fodder. We tried everything from pulses to cowpea, cereals, and various high biomass cover crops. Punjab Agriculture Department's recommendation was to focus on high-value, low-volume goods. So we invested in a groundwater well to grow vegetables on a small scale. Given our challenges with sowing grow crops in a zero-tilled system, we also experimented with planting orchards on part of the land. Three years later, we have sowed many things, but have rarely achieved a good crop stand. With time, our germination rate worsened, and we never recovered a decent output comparable to the conventional system. What happened? Section 3. Learning. The process of trying to formulate a successful zero-tillage system in rain-fed potwar helped us identify some key challenges and lessons. Limits of machinery. My introduction to regenerative agriculture happened through resources coming out of North America. While the American farmers wrestled with technologies that could help them manage hundreds and thousands of acres, I was dealing with a landholding of five acres split over two non-contiguous sections and individual farms carved out of uneven lands no larger than a few canals each. Since zero-tillage systems are uncommon and under-researched in Pakistan, especially in rain-fed conditions, the available machinery is simply unsuitable. Our zero-tillage seeder failed to achieve germination in a field with residue. Our crimper became irrelevant within one season, given our failure to get a good crop stand and our ridgers uses in question since we may abandon raised beds in a system without irrigation. Three years of zero-tillage farming have largely been dedicated to researching the appropriate set of machines to develop a complete system. Your village is not my village. What works in irrigated contexts does not work in rain-fed contexts. 
The picnic blueprint was developed and refined in an irrigated context. Permanent beds, for example, in such a context are hugely beneficial in water saving since they allow the farmer to switch from flood irrigation to furrow irrigation. This also implies that the farmer can control germination and moisture in the initial transition phase of the soil. If the seeds do not germinate, the farmer can either irrigate and repair the damage or sow again and, again and irrigate. In a rain-fed context, moisture management is a watershed-wide effort. For fields higher up on the ridge, our soils were permanently dry and we experimented with soils to absorb and hold moisture. For our lower fields, water logging was an issue and significant effort went into developing good drainage. The effects of climate change becoming more obvious, we experienced long dry spells that are otherwise rare for our region. Given that this was an individual effort, our ability to plan the watershed was vastly constrained and we continued to deal with moisture management challenges. Farming is a complex, technical and multi-skilled endeavor. Farmers, especially small farmers, do not share a favorable reputation. Farming is considered unskilled, farmers are assumed to be illiterate, and small farms considered unproductive. As an inexperienced farmer, I faced the dual challenge of transitioning to a zero-tillage system and learning farming. I assumed that I should be able to trial and error my way through learning the basics by using the extensive resources available to farmers such as the Agriculture Department Extension Services, the Internet, and fellow farmers. However, designing the farm proved challenging, and I felt I needed multiple degrees to break this challenge. A farmer must be a hydrologist, a soil scientist, a climate reader, an agronomist, an expert of cropping systems, a landscape reader, a business manager, basically an all-in-one. The force of knowledge in a zero-tillage system is built on years of generational knowledge that gives the farmer the eyes to read everything on their lands, from the soil to the plants, insects, animals, and the skies. Capitalist agriculture has come at the cost of loss of the art of farming. Perhaps the most important challenge for me was to understand how to develop diverse multi-cropping systems. While there are resources available on what crops go together and how complex intercrop vegetable patches can work, this required considerable customization to succeed. My father narrated stories of my great-grandmother maintaining a diverse vegetable farm and growing crops such as cotton in my village, something that cannot be imagined today. In the generation between her and mine, we have lost the skills of subsistence agriculture as industrial processes have taken over. While villagers grow vegetables in home gardens for personal use, no vegetables are grown on a larger scale for sale. How should we plan our vegetable farm? I'd ask my relatives. You have to make a dera, which is a place to live for the labor to stay on site. Then you bring in an expert in vegetable farming from the plains of Punjab, and they will establish the vegetable farm for you, was the response I received. They essentially admitted that local vegetable expertise was absent. My best resource for replicating a more diverse multi-crop system was to hearken back to the, to the British gazetteer of the Rawalpindi district, from 1893-94, which meticulously rec recorded the agricultural practices from several generations ago. Scientific precision versus application. After struggling with poor germination and inadequate plant growth for two years, I invited a local scientist researching zero-till farming methods in my region to guide us. 
He visited the farm and zeroed our endeavors. This dead grass is not mulch. It adds nothing to the ground's organic matter. And no zero-tillage cedar can sow in this kind of residue, he said, among other observations. His recommendation was that we should shift to a minimum tillage system because the high temperatures in our region would not allow organic matter to build in our soil. He also explained that Potwari soil was difficult to sow because Sukhi Tiloya Gilite Goya, hard like iron when dry and sticky like dung when wet. When wet. While the local scientist was telling us that a no-till system cannot work in our environments, cutting-edge research on re regenerative farming was finding that a conventional system can transition to a regenerative system in as little as two weeks, given all the conditions for soil regeneration are met. Similarly, while practitioners at the frontier of regenerative agricultural science were developing techniques to do high-frequency rapid soil sampling, picnic mentors were dismissive of our local soil laboratory results, citing them as unreliable. They recommended that I just needed to observe the soil closely and notice changes in its texture and our plant growth. The gap between the science and its application remained unbridgeable for our amateur experiment. Conclusion Understanding Knowledge as a Societal Productive Force In his article on the agrarian question, Lodi argues that sustainable small farmer appropriate agriculture requires generating alternative modes of production by developing a post-capitalist agrarian and non-agrarian alternative. However, this transformation cannot occur at an individual level in an overwhelmingly capitalistic industrial agricultural system predicated upon the descaling of both farmers and rural village labor in production techniques. A farm experiment like mine is a failing endeavor without engaging with the socio-ecological relationships and practices of land management and farming across the farm, village, and regional landscape. Agroecological transformations have been successful in several scenarios where small farmers are, are organized on a large scale with substantial state support. This support is indispensable to transitioning to an agrarian system that prioritizes the development of knowledge as a key force of production. We have so far failed in our endeavors as an isolated island of experimentation on degraded land surrounded by a hostile regime of production. I've learned that progress is not possible without embedding research in a supportive ecosystem which can transcend capitalist social property relations and achieve a post-capitalist alternate. At the same time, this one little experiment reveals that ways of knowing and being a force in the world is contingent on human connections across generations and communities. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any comments and feedback, feel free to share them with us on the blog. You can find the link to the post in the description of the episode.